Awesome. Let's go ahead and grab our seats, please. Congratulations to Wales, who beat England in the rugby. It's fine. Every now and again, you've got to let them have a go. <laughs> what was the score? 21-13. Must have been a few breakaway points at the end, wasn't it? Wonderful. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. In Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's novels, his detective series called The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, one of the regular refrains that he often uses to talk to Dr. Watson is Sherlock Holmes says, Dr. Watson, you see, but you don't perceive. And he's always a little bit irritated with Dr. Watson because he's always seeing, but he's never actually perceiving. His concern for Dr. Watson is you spend all your life looking at lots of things and you see it, but you don't really perceive what's really going on. And I think sometimes as Christians in the church, we can do exactly the same thing, can't we? We see things all the time and we actually get really used to them. In fact, for some of us, we've grown up doing them all our lives again and again and again. But when somebody says, why do you do it? You're not quite sure why you do it or why you don't do it, and why you just want others to do it, but you don't want to do it yourself. Well, next week, we we're going to be taking up our Go Forward Fund. You should have received a, 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 well, I would say a brochure, but it's not really a brochure, is it? It's like a special leaflet. That's what we've got here. You, you will have found one of these on your seat. We do a Go Forward Fund every year. So for those of you that are new to Sovereign Grace, and we pe- people give into our church all the time. That's how we do what we do. But we've always had a passion to shoot above our weight, to do more than we can just as a local church and to make a difference both locally and internationally. And I think we have a responsibility to do that, quite frankly. We live in one of the most expensive parts of the world and one of the most expensive parts of the most expensive city in the world. Actually, not just now, but in all of history. And so when you read about the rich in the Bible, what you must understand is it's talking about you. There's a responsibility on our life before the Lord to steward what he's entrusted to us. And the Go Forward Fund, I think, gives us an opportunity to do that. There's different opportunities to give. Firstly, for the Paramount Church Plant. Gosh, you guys aren't very excited about that. That's where you go, yeah, I'm on that. That's me. Try it again. First of all, the Paramount Church Plant. It's good. At least promote your own things, guys. You know, Do what you can. Um, So we're really going to be raising funds for that. We want to plant churches, right? And it costs money to plant churches, and so we want to make sure we're giving to that. There's Caring Regionally, which is the Cat Depth Center, um, and International Care Ministries, which we've heard about over the last few weeks. And then the Sovereign Grace Church Global Missions, um, who are doing things like what we just watched on the video. You know, we're, we're funding things all over the world to see pastors strengthened and helped, and churches planted. Sovereign Grace at the minute is in 27 different countries and six continents. Um, serving around 80,000 members probably across the world of people that are either in Sovereign Grace or pursuing Sovereign Grace. Um, and we are definitely amongst some of the wealthiest in Sovereign Grace. So I want to take that responsibility seriously, that Lord, okay, help us to make a difference. Help us to make a difference around the globe. What do you want us to do um, here in Sydney for your glory? But one of the things I've always wanted to do and always committed to is, as I've led this church is we are never going to take up an offering without preaching on it first. The reason for that is Paul talks about the importance of not giving reluctantly or under compulsion. And when you do surprise offerings, guess what you feel? 
either reluctant or you feel guilty and you feel you should. So you're quickly like, oh gosh, what have I got? It's not helpful for people. So that's why we always want to wash us with the word, wash our own hearts with the word, at least a week before taking up an offering like this where we get the opportunity to give over the next year. Because I don't want people giving reluctantly and I don't want people giving under compulsion thinking, well, I probably just should. We want to give in a way that's envisioned and enthused and impassioned by God's word. And so the question that we're going to look at today is why give? Why give it all? Why bother? Why does Jesus spend 15% of all his recorded words talking about giving? You realize in the Bible, Jesus talks more about giving than he does heaven and hell combined. To him, it's clearly an important issue that we need to grasp and understand as biblically defined. Why is giving, as biblically defined, such an important means of grace? Now, the truth is, as a pastor, this can be really difficult to preach on because we judge a motive very quickly, don't we? We can think, why is he asking? Has he not got enough money to feed his kids? What's going on? Well, I just want to assure you, I have enough money to feed my kids. This message will not in any way inform my salary. (laughs) But I want to preach on this topic because Jesus does. And I'm called to imitate Christ. And if it's important to him, and it needs to be important to me, and it needs to be important to us as a local church. So as we discern our giving, we're going to examine why give. And so why don't I pray, and then we'll get into this stuff together. Lord, what an opportunity this is, again, to... To make a difference, to gather around your word and to listen in and to hear your voice. Lord Spurgeon once said that we need two salvations, a salvation of our heart and a salvation of our wallets. Lord, did you help both our hearts and our wallets today? Help us to understand they're linked, they're together. Lord, did you minister to us on an area that is so distinctly private in our culture, but an area that you want to inform us in by your word? So, Lord, help us do this by your grace. Amen. Amen. So, why do we give? Why do we each week have an offertory over on the one side? Why is it that each week, I think about 10 people tops give through that offertory and over 100 people give through our online giving all the time? Why do we do that? Well, there's really many reasons in the Bible as to why giving is so important. But today I want us to look at four. I want to highlight four reasons why we give. There are really opportunities in our giving, and I do this to encourage us, to envision us, and enthuse us afresh in this opportunity that the gift of giving is. So why give? Well, number one, giving gives us the opportunity to point our hearts to things above. It gives you and it gives me an opportunity to point my heart, the reality of who I really am, to things above and things beyond this world. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 19 to the end of the verse 21. This is what he says. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's wonderful. Jesus pulls us together on a Galilean mountainside and he wants to talk to us about our giving and our money and our treasures. Whenever you hear treasures, it's just talking about everything that you have. This stuff that revolves in our life, the stuff in our bank account, the stuff we have on, the stuff we have in our house. They're our treasures. And Jesus wants to address us in this reality of treasures. And as he tells us these verses, he tells us a couple of amazing things. 
First off, he tells us about the treasure principle, which is the reality that you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That's his premise. Listen, don't store for yourselves treasures here on earth. Why? Because you can't take it with you. It ain't coming. You don't see any hearses pulling a U-Haul. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, you're gone. You're dead and you're gone. Nothing's coming with you. Don't store for yourselves treasures here on this earth because moth and rust destroy, thieves break it and steal. But instead, store up treasures in heaven. Send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You see, sometimes I think as Christians, we think that in the heavenly realms, we're just all going to have exactly the same rewards. That would be fair. Negative. It's not true. That's not what happens. Getting into heaven isn't like getting on a plane. Okay, You get on a plane. I still remember the first time I ever got on a plane. And they come around with their goodie bags. Oh, it's exciting. You get like a blindfold. Sometimes a bag of chips. Like, a, oh, a toothbrush. You think this is amazing? I mean, the first time I got on a plane, I was one of the first people to get on a plane. I sat down. They came around with this goodie bag. And I'm like, it must be because it's my first time. <laughs> so I opened the goodie bag. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. Look at this free chips. And, and then I noticed, whoa, whoa, hang on. Everybody's getting them. And everybody got exactly the same thing. Well, heaven isn't like that. Heaven doesn't work like that. That's why Paul says to the the, the Philippians, listen, I'm not looking for you to give priorities to me. I'm looking for you to consider what can be credited to your account. He's talking about, listen, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Heaven's rewards are not a one-size-fits-all. So do you want to invest your rewards into now and enjoy them now, or do you want to enjoy them for the next millenniums? It's your choice. Pick 100 years or millenniums. Pick wisely. It's what Jesus is talking about in this context. But what's even more amazing, I think, about these verses is what he says next. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's profound. And if we can understand that as Christians, if we can discern what he's saying there, that is life-changing, seriously life-changing. See, this is what Paul Tripp says about the heart, what Jesus is saying here about the heart. He says, The Bible uses heart to describe the inner person. Scripture divides the human being into two parts, the inner and the outer being. The outer person is your physical self. The inner person is your spiritual self. The synonym the Bible most often uses for the inner being is your heart. It encompasses all the other terms and functions used to describe the inner person, spirit, soul, mind, emotions, will, and so forth. These other terms do not describe something different from the heart. Rather, they are all aspects of it, parts or functions of the inner person. The heart, then, is the real you. It is the essential core of who you are. Though we put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the outer person, we must always remember that the true person is the person within. So when you say, I really know that person, what you're actually saying is, I really know their heart. I understand who they really are, what they value, what they're about. It really is who they are. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And what he's helping us see is, listen, in all of of history, in all of culture, in all of life, a person's treasures will always be intrinsically linked to their heart. What they do with their money will be totally linked to where their heart really is at. If you want to see if they love Jesus, look at what they do with their treasures. Because our treasures and our heart are always intrinsically linked. You see it all the way through the Bible. For example, in Joshua chapter 7, there's a young man by the name of Achan. And he's a soldier from the tribe of Judah. 
And God tells him and all the other tribes of Judah, listen, when we go into Jericho, don't take a thing. That's the only rule. We're going to take over Jericho, but don't take anything. Well, they're all okay with that, but Achan then goes in and he sees some pretty cool stuff. And he likes some of this stuff. He sees a beautiful Babylonian garment and he sees 200 pieces of silver and an ingot of gold. And he's like, I know God said not to, but man, this is attractive. And he starts coveting and he takes it. And the result of that, as the story goes on, is not only does he die, but half of the army dies. Why did he do it? Because he wanted stuff. He craved it. It was more important for him to have these treasures than it was being obedient to the Lord because he wanted stuff. He thought it would bring him joy and happiness. We see the same with King Solomon. King Solomon was, for many years, a wonderful king, King David's son himself. And yet his life came to a close at the end, and he was ruined. It was like a shipwreck of a life. Why? Because he lived women and he loved money. His love of women and his love of money got the better of him. And so he died passionate about women and money. But that's where we get the book of Ecclesiastes from, where he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He gets so lost in the love of himself, he's like, what's the point? But his heart had been seduced by treasures. And so he gave himself to that, rather than the Lord. You see an incredible story in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. It's kind of scary. But there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and... In a sense, they're taking it up an offering like we're doing next week. And so this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sell our piece of land and we're going to give all that land to the Lord. That's what we want to do because we love him. And yet the Holy Spirit moves on the leaders and they call Ananias and Sapphira in and say, hey, listen, you've sold your property. Is this what you actually got for it? And they're like, oh, yeah. But it wasn't. They had seen how much money they actually made and they decided we were going to give it all to the Lord but now we can see the money. I actually quite like the money. They started to covet after the money instead. They wanted the money instead. They thought this would bring them more joy. And so they stand before the leaders and they say, oh yeah, that's all the money we made. They die. God strikes them down for lying. Whoa. Consider what you're writing on the forms, you know. Make sure you give what you put out on the forms. He's like, God clearly takes it seriously. This is a big deal. Well, why did they do that? Well, because money started to become really attractive to them. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. You see it in all of life as well. You see it in modern day society. In 1929, the Great Wall Street crash. Hundreds of people lose money. What happens? Many people start committing suicide. Why? Because where your treasure is, there is your heart. They lost all of their treasures. And so as far as they were concerned, I may as well lose my life. I've got nothing left. If I haven't got money, I've got nothing. They were ending their lives. The same happened in 2008 in the GFC, the global financial crisis. The acting uh, chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the chief executive of Sheldon Good, the headline executive of Ben Stearns, to mention just a few, when they started to lose their money, they ended their lives. One guy just ran straight out of a tall building and ended his life. He couldn't go on. If I've lost my money, my life's not worth living. Our treasures and our hearts are in intrinsically linked it's just the way it is we see it in the bible we see it in all of culture in all of life and so how kind of the lord who loves us more than anybody to pull up on the side of a galilean hill and say listen i want to talk to you about your treasures because they really relate to your heart and so he tells us listen make no mistake where your treasure is there your heart will be also 
Wherever your stuff is pointing, that's where your heart will be. Wherever you do with your stuff, that's what you'll be most passionate about. And so he tells us, therefore, don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't let all your heart be stored up here on earth. Don't store up here as if this is everything you've got because this is not everything you've got. Your aliens and strangers and sojourners in this plate point your treasures to things above. Why? Because that's when your heart will go to things above. If you give your whole life here and spend all your treasures here, this will be your passion. But if you think about the heavenly realms and give to me, guess what will be your passion? I will be your passion. You'll be constantly reminded, so how kind of the Lord to give us the gift of giving, to give us a weekly opportunity to point our hearts to things above, don't you think? Genius. That's who he is. He gives us a weekly moment where we can be reminded, this is not my home. Heaven is my home. And so I'm giving to you. Because as I give to you, it points my heart to you as well. I remember when I was a kid and my dad got some shares. Back in the day, and there wasn't, internet didn't exist when I was a kid, so the only way you could work out how, many shares, how your shares were going is you had to watch a channel in the UK and it would just keep turning over. And my dad didn't own many shares, and for, for many years he didn't own any shares at all, but he bought these shares, and then all of a sudden he bought a TV just for shares. <laughs> and he used to travel around in a van, and he had this battery attached to a TV so he could keep an eye on it. It was amazing. You're like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I'm keeping an eye on the shares. Here's, here's what you learn from that. When you don't have something, you're not too interested. But when you start putting money in, man, you start to be passionate about it. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart. If you're not passionate about the local church, let me ask you this, how much you're giving? If you're not passionate about Jesus, let me ask you how much you're giving. If you don't think anything about heaven, let me ask you how much you're giving. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How kind of the Lord to give us the gift of giving to assure that our hearts don't get seduced by the world, but instead are pointed to things above. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, The church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as home. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountain peaks of eternity past and eternity to come. For the past is gone forever, and the present is passing as swift as the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz. For even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay to enjoy it. So we would do well to think of the long tomorrow. I love that. We would do well to think of the long tomorrow. How do we do that? Well, we must understand where our treasure is there is our heart. If you want to think and you want your heart to go to the long tomorrow, then give towards the long tomorrow. And you'll find your heart will follow. Number two, giving gives us an opportunity to make a very real difference in gospel mission. And it does. It is a very real tangible difference in gospel mission when we give to the Lord. He, he does things with that money. I mean, we saw last week how the church is a body. But a few people come to me this week and let me know they think they are kneecaps. That's wonderful. But we are a body, right? We all have different parts to play in the body. But one of the things that's true and has been true in all of salvation history is one of the opportunities and really commitments of every single part of the body is to give to the advanced work of the kingdom of God. We see it all the way through the Bible. So in the Old Testament, God's people were called to give a tithe or a tenth of their income to the Lord. Now, a few people may be thinking, oh, I think I tithe. Okay, just to be clear, a tithe is 10%. So if you give 10%, you're tithing. If you don't give 10%, you're giving an offering. And that's great. 
but you're not tithing. In the Old Testament, a tithe was a tenth. It was 10% of your income that you gave to the Lord. And that's what everybody did. If you were part of the nation of Israel, you all had to do that. And it's money that would be used for the furtherance of the temple. And so it'd be used for building and maintenance of the temple. It'd be used to support the temple servants, so the priests and the Levites. They had no income outside of what people gave. And so it was used to actually feed them and house them and give them a living. And it was used for gospel mission, both towards the temple and beyond the temple. And so the Old Testament, that's always the way it operated for the glory of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, giving to support God's work in the church, the new temple remained then a priority and expectation on all believers. It, it carried on. It just stopped being the temple. It now became the local church. And so people gave. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, giving to support the church itself and the church leaders became important. Men that God was setting aside for the work of ministry to equip the saints of works of ministry. And it was a, a biblical premise that, hey, we need to give to support them so that they can do that. So they can be devoted to the church in that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and Acts chapter 4, we see giving to support the needs of the poor, understanding that there'll be people that need not just hands and feet of Jesus to go to them, they need help. They need real, financial, tangible help. And so we give so that that help is available when those time comes and when those needs arise. And in Philippians chapter 4, Romans chapter 15, we see also giving to support the extension of the gospel. And so part of our giving is also used not only to help fund pastors and to build buildings and so on and so forth and care for the poor, but it's actually used to plant more churches, to take the gospel out and continue to plant more churches for the glory of the Lord. That's why Parramatta in part is so neat, because that's what we're meant to be doing. Raising temples, building temples, now let's plant more, let's take more and more people out. You have to have the funds to make that a reality. And in God's sovereignty, you know, there have been hundreds of thousands of people throughout history that have delivered their lives. And in God's sovereignty and right now redemptive history, it's our turn. We stand on the shoulders of hundreds of thousands of people that have gone before us, that have given faithfully to their churches to see the advancement of the gospel go forward. And now we're on right here in Sydney. So Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and John the Baptist and Peter and Paul and all the other men and women of Christian history, both the great and the small, they've delivered their lives. But now the great cloud of witnesses is looking on to say, what are you going to do? It's your turn. It's your time. And folks, I want to encourage you then, as you deliver your lives through giving, recognize as I give some of what he's entrusted to me, back to him, it's going to be used to advance the gospel. What a privilege. What a privilege. You know, we're all ultimately stewards of God's money. Everything you actually have is actually the Lord's. So the question isn't how much shall I give. The question is how much, Lord, do you want me to keep? This is all your money. But when we give it back, it gives us the opportunity, okay, let's plant more churches, let's do more things. Let's take the gospel forward all the more, both in our land and in people like what we saw in Pakistan opportunities to serve the Lord beyond our gates. That's why the Go Forward Fund, I think, is so neat. Because it just gives us opportunities to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel and make a tangible difference, both locally in Parramatta and extra-locally and through CAP and ICM and um, obviously around the world. Number three, giving gives us an opportunity to trust God. See, maybe you're here and you're thinking, Dave, this sounds awesome. 
it's a shame I haven't got any money. This just sounds really good. We just can't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, giving gives us a distinct opportunity to trust the Lord. It's one of the profound things of Scripture, and I think one of the places you see it is in Mark chapter 12. Why don't you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles? Because in Mark chapter 12, you see Jesus starting to interact with a poor widow, and I think she is a wonderful and profound picture of a lady who really does trust the Lord, who's willing to entrust her whole life to Him. Verse 41 through to 44. It says, And He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they, are all, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's amazing, and we mustn't detach this. It's just one of those really quaint stories that you tell your kids about. It's like it's a real-life story that Jesus is then pulling his disciples to him and said, listen, check this woman out. I want you to learn something here. Check it out. Look at her life. So Jesus right now, he's in, he's in the temple courts. He's just been, if you read back in Mark, he's just been arguing with the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees. They've been trying to throw him under the bus all the time, but through his wisdom and genius, he's actually kind of thrown them under the bus but he's really tired. And so he comes out to the temple courts and he sits opposite the treasury and he sits close enough to actually pay attention to what's going on. And in the temple treasury, there would be 13 pots or actually inverted horns. They would invert a horn, they'd, they'd stick it to a, a pot so they could actually get the money out at the end. And there'd be 13 of them that would all go to different things all relating to the temple and all the things that we've talked about this morning. And Jesus sits close enough to actually pay attention to what people are doing. And all the rich people, when they come... It, it, it kind of comes with it of a pomp and circumstance, you know? It's actually said that, that on many occasions at this time, they would often come with like town criers and trumpets. That's pretty cool. So they would come in, you, you're very wealthy, and rather than giving you over a credit card, no, no, I'll get my entire giving out in 20 cent pieces because I want everybody to hear it. And then the trumpet would come, everybody, Dave Taylor's giving. Thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah, yeah. And then they would just give these, loads and loads of cash you'd just be seeing pouring into the horn it had nothing to do with them giving what they wanted to do is everybody else go you're amazing and you think thank you and what Jesus is saying is you know what that's a disgrace before me that is not right but guys check out that poor widow at the back she gave two small copper coins called mites or leptas for us it would be the equivalent of one thirtieth of a one cent piece It's nothing. It's not going to make a grand difference in the building of the temple. But Jesus uses her as a prime example because he wants the disciples to see, listen, that is a beautiful thing to me. See, this widow is such an example for us, I think, in sacrifice. She didn't give just some of what the Lord had entrusted to her. She gave away everything. She entrusted herself Unto the Lord, and what an example of sacrifice she really is. She would have known the doctrine of stewardship. She would have known Psalm 50, verse 12, that says, For the Lord is my, for the world is mine and all that is in it. She would have known, ultimately, Lord, you own everything. And so I want to give everything. Because I love you. I don't want to sacrifice for you. 
What an example she is of sacrifice, but more than that, what an example she is of trusting God. She was a widow. If you saw a widow in Sovereign Grace Church walking towards the offertory, and then you're aware they've just given in everything they've got, how would you counsel her? I'd be tempted to go, whoa, (laughs) thank you, let other people do it. Just, whoa, you need everything you've got. In fact, I'll give you more. What do we need? But Jesus doesn't. He says, no, that's great. She was a wonderful example of sacrifice, and she was a wonderful example of trusting God. She was easily recognizable by her tatty clothes. There is no welfare state in this history, in Jerusalem at this time, no welfare state at all. And it would appear that she's got no family around her, which is why everything she's got is one-thirtieth of a cent. And yet she entrusts it all to the Lord. And this story, just so we're clear, is here primarily to teach us one thing, and that one thing is not go and do likewise. Go and sell everything you've got and put it in the offertory. That's not what it's here for. But what it is here for is to help us understand that giving is a wonderful opportunity to trust God. It's a wonderful opportunity to say, Lord, if you don't bail me out here, I'm in a world of hurt. But I trust you. I'm going to trust my life on you. You know, the reality is, for for me as a pastor, there are some things that I can't teach you. There's some things that Jesus can't teach you. There's some things that only stepping out of faith really teaches in our hearts. And giving is definitely one of those things. I can tell you that honey tastes really good, but it's only when you taste it that you'll believe me. And it's like that with giving. I can tell you that you can really trust God, but it's only as you step out in faith that you'll actually discover He is faithful. It's true. I remember learning this off my dad. I was 20 years old. Um, I was at university at the time. I was studying civil engineering. Quite liked it. Uh, But I met a girl. She could spell Jesus, and she was attractive. So I'm thinking, this is awesome. We'll get married. So I asked her to marry me. She thought that would be a good idea. So I left university. I took up a job. I was earning 7,500 pounds, about $10,000. And that's all I was earning at the time. I was like, sweet, that'll do. And she actually had a half-decent job. So I'm like, this is good. So we bought a house together. We took out a massive loan, bought a house, took out another big loan and bought a car. Sweet, I'm living the high life. And then six weeks before we were due to get married, she called the whole thing off. Decided she didn't want to do it. She wasn't interested after all. And because of the way we'd structured the finances, that left me with a house loan and a car loan on $10,000 a year. There was a world of hurt going on, a world of hurt in my life. And I remember calling my dad and just saying, Dad, I was, I was just I, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? How am I going to afford to live? What on earth should I be doing with my life? Dad, how am I even going to afford the mortgage like next month? And I'm kind of hoping that he might say, I'll help you. At which point you say, thank you. But he didn't. He said, well, son, let me ask you. He said, listen, I'm praying for you, kid, and let me ask you, how's your giving? And I'm like, Dad, have you just heard anything I've said? (laughs) I've just told you I have no money. I've got no money, I can't even pay bills. And he's like, yeah, I heard you, yeah. How's your giving? And I'm like, well, I'm not giving, I'm just trying to use every bit I can to try and pay my bills. And he said, well, son, I thought we brought you up better than that. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, 
And what he was talking to me about is, son, we taught you that God is trustworthy and now is the time to trust him. You are not going to pull it off by yourself, but you serve a great God that can do all things. So I came off the phone. I'm like, well, clearly I'm not getting anyone help me, Dad. Um, And I do believe God is trustworthy. I do. And so, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to start this adventure of giving because I hadn't given anything to her to that point. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to tithe 10%. I remember it's, well, 125 pounds a week I earn. So I'm like, right, 12 pound 50. I'm giving that. So I wrote my check out. It was checks back in those days. Wrote my check out, put it in the offering. I'm like, I could have done without that. Could have been like a meal or something. Um, Walk away and you just think, well, Lord, I hope you do something. Um, And I remember going to work that week and a lady at work saying to me, hey, Dave, do you need anything for your house? And I'm like, there's nothing in my house, right? There's there's just floors, there's just carpets and like windows. That's about it. I said, yeah, there's there's kind of a few odd things missing actually, like everything. Um, And she said... (laughs) She said, oh, she said, well, I've got, a, um, I've got a sofa you can have. I've got like a three-piece suite you can have. Would, would that bless you? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be really neat. And I said, the only thing is I haven't got any ability to get it from your house to bring it to my house. She said, oh, that's fine. We've got a van. We'll drop it over you for, you for you. Would that be all right? I'm like, oh, yeah. And then she drops it over, and she's like, oh, we also had a TV and a table. Thought you might like it. Is that okay? I'm like, oh, yes, bring it in. I remember that night just sitting there like the king of the house. Sofa, TV, look at this, this is so amazing. Um, and, so, and that was really how my month started to play out. And I have no idea to this day how I really afforded to manage that month, but I did. I, somehow everything kind of worked okay. And then so the next month comes out, you know, okay, £12.50, see what happens. And I, went in, and I went into work and I'm chatting to the guys at work. And through a series of events, they came to me and said, hey, listen, we want to promote you. We think you're probably quite good at this role. Can we start stepping you up? And obviously, it would be a pay rise. But, um, and I'm like, this is awesome. My brother calls me up and says, hey, I've been thinking about where to come to university. I'm thinking I'd like to come to Cardiff University. Could I stay with you and pay rent? Oh, yeah, I'm available. <laughs> and then one of the other guys from church says, oh, actually, I'd quite like to move in as well. So within three months, they had not only moved in, they were paying my mortgage for me. And I'm getting a pay rise. So I'm starting to earn more money. So my giving starts going up. And the honest truth is, I was 20 years old and I've never stopped tithing since. And every single year of my life, I've found God is faithful again and again and again and again. It's an adventure for me. I love it. I'm desperate for you to have it. But I can't teach you it. There's only some things that you can experience about God when you do it. When you say, okay, as for me and my house. I'm going to jump off the cliff and I'm going to trust that he's going to carry me. He definitely, definitely will. Fact. There's only one thing in the Bible that God says, test me in this. It's actually giving. Because the people of Israel were struggling in their giving. And he said, listen, you're robbing me. But more than that, you can trust me. Test me in this. Test him. I dare you. If you say you love Jesus and you trust Jesus, prove it. Show it to the Lord that as for me, Lord, I'm in. I'm entrusting myself to you. I'm believing you and I'm believing you will carry me. I learned that at 20 years old. I'm very grateful for my father. I want you to be grateful for Jesus this morning because he is talking to you about this. Giving gives us an opportunity to trust God. And then finally, giving gives us an opportunity to do something that God loves. And what a precious reality this is. And it's a precious reality that we learn about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. See, one year 
prior to Paul penning the letter of 2 Corinthians, more or less exactly one year before, he agrees with the Corinthian church, he calls the Corinthians church and agrees, listen, would you take up an offering for your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? At that time, the, the people in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters there, they are experiencing significant famine and significant persecution, which is why they're experiencing significant famine. It's just very difficult for them to be Christians in Jerusalem, heavily persecuted. Many of them have been killed. It really was, in effect, the Pakistan of the day. And so brothers and sisters that have been dispersed were sending money back to help them, help fund them, keep them alive, keep them going, use this money and for the glory of the Lord in Jerusalem. And one year on then, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he does so really for a few reasons. He wants to remind them of their commitment. Listen, when I wrote to you a year ago, you said you wanted to give. That's sweet. I just want to remind you that's what you said. I also want to inform you that I'm coming in a few weeks. So if you want to start getting that together, that would be really helpful. And he also wants to encourage them and exhort them afresh in the real opportunity that they have in their giving. He's a wonderful pastor. He's not just saying, okay, you remind you, you said you would. Okay, great, I'm coming for it. No, no, I want to remind you what an opportunity this is. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he encourages them with the example of the Macedonians. The Macedonians were like really, really, really poor people. But Paul tells them, listen, um, guys, I don't want to make you feel bad. I actually want to motivate you by grace. But I want you to know, when I rocked up to the Macedonians who really don't have any money, I had to withstrain them in their giving. I mean, it was weird, but it was amazing for the glory of the Lord. They begged me, they gave out of their poverty, and they gave even more. I had to withstrain them so that they had some money left to live on. I mean, some people would say, that sounds like spiritual abuse. Well, actually, it was leadership. He's trying to motivate people by understanding. Listen, I want to encourage you that your other brothers and sisters, they're all in as well. It's a good thing. Look at how God is being faithful. And so Corinthians, I'm coming to you. Let's, let's be all in like the, the Macedonians. Let's be like them. But more than that, he not only wants to encourage them by the example of the Macedonians, he also wants to encourage them with a point about giving. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is 6 to 7. He says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's the law of sowing and reaping, okay? Paul's saying, listen, this is the way it works in your giving. So in some ways he's saying, let's not talk about sowing, let's talk about reaping. What do you want to reap? Do you want to reap small or do you want to reap big? Now, not many people say, oh, I want to reap small. So his point is, okay, if you want to reap generously, sow generously. This is the law. This is the point. And then he tells them, each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I love that line. See, in giving, we have the opportunity to do something that God loves. We have the opportunity to do something that God himself says, I love that. I love it when you do that. I love it when you trust me. I love it when you give to the furtherance of my work. I love it when you believe that this will point your hearts to things above. I love it when because of all those things you give cheerfully. I love a cheerful giver. See, my friends, we are the recipients of his outrageous grace, are we not? At just the right time, he came after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Uninterested in him, unwanting to follow him, but by his grace, he saved us by his grace, right? He made us alive together with Christ. He forgave us and adopted us and redeemed us and assured us that heaven is your home. 
And I'm going to guarantee that with the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. I will be with you to the end of the age. That's the kindness of God in His outrageous grace. And through giving them, we learn that we in response have the opportunity to do something that He says, I love that. Well, if we really love Him, our ears then should be heavily pricking up here, don't you think? It's like when your wife says, oh, I... I really love that necklace. And you're like, make a note. note. Kids, make a note. It's a birthday coming up. Why? Because I love my wife. And if that's something she loves, I want to try and bless her. Well, this is where God looks us in the eye and says, I love giving. I love cheerful giving. And through giving, then, we have the wonderful opportunity to do something that God loves. My friends, as another year of giving stretches out before us, both in the Go Forward Fund and just for us here at Sovereign Grace Church. It is my honest prayer that we would not just see, but we would perceive. We wouldn't just see that, oh yeah, yeah, people give. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know, people just keep doing it. But we would perceive and discern, oh my goodness, what an opportunity this is before the Lord. What opportunity this is to point my heart to something above. In a world that I'm called not to love, but a world that's going to constantly seduce me that this is home, this is home, this is home. How kind of the Lord to give me a gift of giving that points my house to things above. A weekly reminder that this isn't your home, that's your home. A wonderful opportunity to make a difference in gospel mission. How good is it going to be on that day to meet people in heaven that will look back and say, you know what, I only heard the gospel because of the way you gave in that local church. We never even met. Thank you. Giving gives us the opportunity to trust God and to really go on an adventure with Him and to really find out He really is trustworthy and experience Him in that way. And giving gives us the opportunity to do something that God loves. Would we not just see, would we perceive? Would we discern? And would we not then just say, Lord, Lord, and go away and do something different? Would we listen to the Lord and then build our lives upon the rock? Would we give passionately and generously? And would all glory then go to him? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how kind you are to give us the gift of giving. Lord, you know what we need. And our hearts, even as we hear some of these things, they can be, they can be troubled. They can find this difficult. They can find this confronting. Because, Lord, we are, we are a measure of inconsistency in our lives. But Lord, thank you for kindly addressing our hearts this morning. Thank you for being bothered about us and helping us understand the way we work, why we think the way we do, and what the remedy really is. Lord, I do pray then that as we come to think this week about the Go Forward Fund, as we come this week to think about how we give faithfully and generously in this church, Lord, would you stir our hearts? And Lord, when it comes then to giving, would we have eyes ultimately only for one? Because ultimately this is about me and you. Lord, help us to give faithfully and generously and passionately. And would all glory go to you. In Jesus' name, amen.